Jesus said, my kingdom is not from this world. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. May I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with you this morning just across uh, the way from my usual home over in the Divinity School, and I'm very grateful uh, for the invitation to preach to you this morning from my colleague, Dean Luke Powery. It's wonderful to be here. And today we're celebrating the feast of Christ the King, or the reign of Christ that comes on this last Sunday of the conventional church year. Next Sunday, if you haven't already noticed, is the first Sunday of Advent. So here we are with Christ the King. Jesus said, my kingdom is not from this world. On this day, we think together about what it means to have a kingdom, to have rule, the real nature and the real purpose of all might and sovereignty and power in our world, such as we know it, and beyond our world. This morning, I'll be speaking to you about what we might call the principles for a Christian politics. The image of a king or a queen or a ruler or a president or a chairwoman or chairman or whatever will evoke for most of us fond memories, imaginations, and literary resemblances of what it means to be a king or a queen. It's not something that we have to manufacture. You just have to show up at an event where someone is doing something especially glorious or noteworthy and your heart just expands and you get excited. Or you see a royal procession. Or you remember people in your life who had special blessing, the blessing of power and authority for you personally. And there are thousands and thousands of such examples we seem to be hardwired to have heroes, to have leaders, to have people that we trust for activities that are greater than our own power. But the idea of being a king or a queen, I want to suggest to you, and I'll come back to this in the end, also has very much to do with what we are about here as a university at Duke. All of our aspirations for excellence, for professional skill, for artistic beauty, and other forms of competence are also images of God's eternal kingship. The idea that Christ is our king is an uplifting one and an inspiring one indeed. At the same time, at one point or another, we all have a sense that the present order of the world is not exactly how it should be. The world is broken. We sense and yearn and even weep that there must be a more just way of being together than we know. 
Now, most often, to be honest, our desires for justice and righteousness on the earth can often come from what we deserve or want, or what we think we deserve. They can come even from a sense of pity, which is not the same thing as love. But occasionally, thank God, we do have glimpses of real concern for others in the world around us for their own sake. And we do long for God's righteous rule in the world because to some small extent, we love, or at least we want to love, true justice. Now, in both respects, the selfish and the selfless, our longing is a good one. It is a vestige of God's own life and character that has been given to us even with our broken minds and wills, and so we can learn something even from our own yearnings by God's grace. You don't need me to cite a lot of examples or to go on about the many travesties and abuses and tragedies of human power that we live with and in many cases have suffered directly. Human rule is often a dark parody of real leadership or kingship. It makes me think of St. Augustine's unsparing words for the character of the Roman Empire, the society of his day. Organized as it was, he perceives rightly, around the love of glory, the love of violence, and lust for other bodies. Augustine's words about Rome, of course, speak equally well to the society in which we live. One of the most central beliefs of the people of Israel about their God is that the true king is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is the righteous sovereign, the one in whom alone we look to and see what real kingship is. Beautiful words from Psalm 93 this morning. The Lord is king. He has put on splendid apparel. Ever since the world began, your throne has been established. You, O oh God, are for, from everlasting. Mighty is the Lord who dwells on high. God is the true king. And despite our fantasies of our own power, God is the only one whose power will endure. On the Feast of Christ the King, we're also offered different readings of these apocalyptic visions of God's eternal kingship and that of Christ the Lamb. Some years we hear from uh, the Revelation to John. This year, this Sunday, we hear from Daniel chapter 7 in this marvelously symbolic, imaginative vision that came in a dream. It's a vision of an ancient one who took the throne and his clothing was white as snow. His throne was fiery flames and a stream of fire issued from his presence. 
10,000 times 10,000 stood attending him. Majesty, power, and judgment beyond anything that we could concoct. But there was something more. Daniel tells us that then one like a son of man or a human being came with the clouds of heaven and he was presented to the Lord on the throne. The son of man who comes represents a fifth kingdom in addition to the four kingdoms of the earth that we've been reading about in the book of Daniel. Above and beyond the kingdoms of the world comes the true and divine king which will supersede all of the others. To him, to the Son of Man, is given dominance, dominion, glory, and kingship, so that all peoples and nations and languages would serve him, and he would have an everlasting dominion. Christians, of course, have read this always as a prophecy of the coming of Christ, the King of the world. God's kingship is abundantly clear in the pages of the scriptures of Israel. The king is mighty and he loves justice above all, read Psalm 99. The mark of God's kingship, unlike most of our own, is that God cares for the poor first. God always strives to maintain justice. God the king protects the people, especially the most vulnerable, and those who are left out of the worldly economy and systems of power. And through it all, and above all, God the righteous king brings blessing and well-being, protection and prosperity for God's people. One of the most staggering things about the Gospels is that the Lord Jesus himself claimed this identity as king. He had already moved about among his contemporaries, his enemies, and his friends as one entirely free of all of the powers of the world or the universe. He had already acted and spoke like one who was in charge, even if we might not have noticed it. The confession that Christ is Lord, kurios Christos, is one of the very oldest statements of faith. Christ is Lord. Christ is the sovereign over all the earth. Christ is the true and the real ruler, not the, ru the earthly ruler, rulers who pretend to hold sway as if they were God. Christ is Caesar. Christ is the king of all kings. So when he enters Jerusalem, Luke tells us in his gospel, Jesus performed an unmistakable act of royal entry. First, he comes from the Mount of Olives, the place where God is expected to appear on the day of the Lord to become king over all the earth, as Zechariah prophesies. Then Christ requisitions the colt on which he will ride into the city and an unridden one as required. 
The people spread their cloaks to welcome the new king, and they cry out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But his enemies want them to be silenced. Some of the Pharisees tell his disciples, you need to make them stop that because it's threatening. And Jesus replies, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. Ukachukwu Manus writes in his book, Christ the African King, that the images of Christ's kingship that we have in the Gospels and in the Prophets reflect very well some of the most beloved images of kingship in pre-colonial, pre-conquest Africa, and it's a lesson to many of us, most of us, who come from other kinds of societies with colonial legacies. An image not only of the one who cares first and last for his tribe or his people, but indeed who is willing to give his life for their sake if necessary. Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not from this world. It is of a different kind altogether. This king, Jesus, that we celebrate today had a coronation. He was crowned. And his coronation was his death on the cross and his resurrection. The real identity of Jesus, the king, the nature of God's kingship altogether can never be understood apart from the crowning of King Jesus. The rulers of the earth are crowned in beautiful palaces with noble, on noble thrones and in fine linen, but the king of the universe is crowned on a cross where he gave his life for the healing and the salvation of the world. The principles and the figures and heroes and the systems that we tend to substitute for Christ's kingship, all of this, without exception, every single one of them is an idol, a false god, and the instrument of the enslavement of others and of our own souls. If we do not see first who the real king is and what he did on our behalf. There is, Paul tells us, no name under heaven or earth by which we will be saved and who rules and governs and cares for God's beautiful creation other than the name of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. And apart from his saving work of confronting and transforming the very root and the presence of the evil that enslaves us, his work not of best practices and incremental solutions and good intentions. No, his work was to destroy sin, to defeat death, and to conquer the devil himself. Apart from that work, our best intentions will always go awry. Now, this is a hard word, I realize. But this applies to all of those countless acts and policies and important gestures, human efforts to right the wrongs of society, whether Christ is being acknowledged or not, 
Christ's kingship and his sovereign providence for the earth does not depend in the least on our acknowledgement for the sake of others, even though for our own sakes we must choose to participate if we want to share. Apart from Christ's creating and redeeming and consummating power, everything we do in the end will be dross. If this is hard to hear, then it is a call for us to become awake, to become his disciples. And as we are his followers, we will also understand what glorious and life-giving good news it is for us. We have on the color of our bulletins this morning this wonderful image of an icon of Christ the King painted in Greece. I cannot claim credit for this. This was put on here by the chapel staff. I'm the beneficiary as you are, but I want to comment on it. This is a version derivative of an image, an earlier image called Christ the Pantocrator, the ruler of all things. And in a late Byzantine and Russian style, you see Jesus crowned with a crown and he's robed in royal apparel which echoes the garments that he wore when he rode that colt into the city of Jerusalem in the face of his enemies. He holds up his hand in a symbol of blessing, and his fingers make for us the letters of the word that spells his name, Jesus, in Greek. It's an image that's deeply paradoxical. It shows forth his splendor and the remnants, the history, and the eternal reality of his death and his resurrection for us. Notice finally that as Jesus looks at us through this image, his expression contains all that he is. He looks at us with peace, with compassion, and also with judgment and with power, all wrapped up in one. It's become a favorite pastime, especially for understandable reasons at this point in our own society, has it not? to argue and debate about what the authorities are or are not or ought to be doing, how poorly certain people do their jobs or don't, what sort of services we need and we require, and why don't people give us more say and more sway? Much of that is important, even crucial. But the most important question before and beyond all of that is not how well other people are ruling or how well we are ruling in our own offices. The question is how well are we being ruled? How well are we being ruled by the true King, God, in Jesus Christ? It's only when we allow ourselves to be ruled by him that we have any hope of being a blessing to others. The 19th century theologian and social ethicist F.D. Morris wrote this about Jesus preaching of his kingdom in his constant preaching. It's as if 
Morris says, Jesus was saying to us, there has been a holy and a blessed order among you, the order of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. But you have been darkening and confounding and hiding from others by your sins and your selfishness this beautiful thing. But it must and it will assert itself on the earth in spite of you and of all who resist it. Christ's kingship cannot be stopped by us, as much, however much damage we may perform. To rule in Christ and to be ruled by Christ, having Christ as our king is not a nice image to put on the shelf alongside of a bunch of others as if they were the same. Christ the king is our creator. He is our judge and he is the savior of all queens and kings and leaders, etc. The blessing of the world for which we all rightly yearn and to which I hope we have given ourselves requires discipleship. It requires the humility of obedience. It requires courage. And it requires care for the lowly and the neediest among us. When we do that, we might look a little bit like Christ, the King of Kings. To conclude, the reign of Christ begins within ourselves. It begins, as Jesus said, in the human heart. But it will make itself manifest without. Christ's reign, I'm quoting Morris again, must penetrate our feelings, our habits, our thoughts, our words, and our acts for all of us who desire to be subject to him. At last, we know, we trust, and we hope it will penetrate the entirety of cosmic existence. So this is what we pray when we pray as we will together in a few minutes, thy kingdom come. May your reign come, O God. This is what we pray. We yearn for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to reign over our spirits and our souls and our bodies, which are his and which he has redeemed. We pray for the extinction of all tyranny, whether lodged in particular people or in systems and multitudes. We pray for the exposure and the destruction of all corruption, inward or outward. We pray for truth in all of the halls of power and in art and in science, the halls of learning. We pray for the true dignity of all human work. We pray for right dealings in the commonest transactions of our commerce. And we pray for blessing that will be felt in every home, trusting and knowing that God will hear us. God will answer our prayer, thy kingdom come, so that everything that he has made, all of it, one day, will become as it was meant to be in the name and the glory of Christ the King forever 
and forever. Amen.